B-Pod Studios. Jimmy! Jimmy, who doesn't love Jimmy? I can't stand him. Yeah, you know what? Your phone's never right, Jay Stu. What you need to do is stick to wrestling. Stick to wrestling with James Stewart. Happy Monday morning to everybody. This is Stick to Wrestling for June 26th. It is a Monday morning. Happy Monday to those who celebrate. Most of you don't. Most of you are Garfield and you hate Mondays, but that's okay. Uh, day early because Forbidden Door was on a Sunday night and I knew I had the time now, so I figured I'd give you uh, instant reaction. Uh, it's about 9 a.m. on Monday morning as I record this. Uh, Forbidden Door was one of the better standalone pay-per-views that I've watched. Um, so I'll have more thoughts on that in a second. Uh, first, as it relates to Boston, because that's what we care about. We are a Boston-based podcast, even though we are syndicated-ish. Um, I know I have listeners across the globe, even if it's one or two listeners or one or two downloads, which may be accidental downloads for all I know. But this is still a Boston-based podcast, so I start with servicing my Boston people. Uh, Fightful Select uh, yesterday. Uh, released an email to its insiders. Uh, news on current plans on Blood and Guts. AEW is zeroing in on a location for this year's Blood and Guts match. According to those with knowledge close to the situation, All Elite Wrestling is targeting Boston as the location for the 2023 Blood and Guts match. The company is set to visit TD Garden, home of the Boston Celtics and Boston Bruins, on Wednesday, July 19th for AEW Dynamite slash Rampage taping. And that goes into, you know, last year's match was in June, the bout before, da da da, da was in Daly's place, whatever. So this is kind of what I've been teasing for a while, is that if AEW wants to sell out TD Garden, they need to do blood and guts. They need a really big splash because as of maybe a week or so ago, they had only sold about 5,000 tickets, which is pretty much, I think the lower bowl, not including club seats, is probably about 8,000. So you need to get that upper deck filled. And if if they get it out there, like this isn't an accident report. This is they've gotten it out there. AEW has gotten it out there like, hey, we might be doing this. So now they've got about a month of promotion so that people will start talking about, hey, you know, they did war games here back a few weeks, uh, a few months ago, like Blood and Guts. That's That's another match that should sell out. And they only do that match once a year. So... Good on AEW for leaking it out. Like I said, I kind of teased it a little bit because I thought that that was the best match that AEW had that was unique and they could do it in Boston and it's not a pay-per-view. So good on AEW for kind of sneaking that out into the news media world. Tony Khan at the media press conference after Forbidden Door last night was asked about the Garden Show and he said it's going to be a really big show. Because he wasn't ready to announce that they were going to do Blood and Guts because the story hasn't gotten there, presumably. And the story might be a little bit, I don't want to say derailed, that's too strong. But my assumption is, is that Brian Danielson, who last night injured his, they think he has a fractured forearm. He would have been part of, I assume, the Elite versus the Blackpool Combat Club match. Now, they did a 10-man they didn't need Danielson, but if you're adding Danielson and Omega to the Elite and the Blackpool Combat Club in a 
in a blood and guts match, like that adds a lot more value. And who knows? Maybe maybe they get like the Bob Orton cast and Danielson can do the match. But Danielson said it's six to eight weeks for the fracture to heal. So the assumption is that Danielson's next match would be all out or all in one of those two pay-per-view shows. Before we get to Forbidden Door, my thoughts on a wonderful show. Just want to mention with the Boston thing, uh, Matt Hardy is doing a live podcast at Kowloon. It's July 18th. The show is at 8 p.m. The meet and greet is from 6 to 7 for VIP ticket people. Uh, You can go to the Kowloon website to get your tickets or between the hours of 11 a.m. Actually, noontime. Do noontime. Between noontime and, say, 8 o'clock weekdays, you can call the front desk and charge by phone. Old school, you call and you talk to a person. 781-233-0077. Uh, if you want to go see Matt Party, Matt Matt Hardy, not Matt Party, not Matt Party, Matt Hardy, uh, do the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy podcast. I can tell you, it's one of my favorite podcasts. It is a very different podcast. It's a lot more, I would say, open. Where Matt not only talks about his matches, his life in wrestling, but talks about like the influence of his dad or what's going on with his brother or uh, they just had Adam Cole on last week. Uh, you know, goes really in depth into the lost TLC match from SmackDown or a story with Adam Page and the background of how they got to that story. Or they just did a podcast on Kevin Owens, Kevin Seen. I really like the Matt Hardy podcast, The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. And uh, I think you all would have a good time meeting Matt. Matt is one of the better meet and greets in wrestling. And he's had a lot of influence on other people who do who do meet and greets. So Matt Hardy is a favorite of mine, longtime favorite of mine. I've had the privilege of talking to both Hardys within the course of uh, a six-month span in different companies. Uh, Matt has always been wonderful to me in the time that he's given me. So uh, if you feel like you want to do a meet and greet with Matt Hardy, they have VIP tickets for meet and greet before the show. They have general admission if you just want to sit and watch the show. Uh, right now the schedule is, is that it's going to be outdoors, which is fun. That Kowloon law, that Kowloon outdoor setting is just a fun, good time. And hopefully it's a good, it's a good, like comfortable night. And we're not all baking in the sun going overhead, but presumably the weather will be good. I have a few Mai Tais or I'm a scorpion bowl for one person. But, uh, if the Matt Hardy podcast is something that might interest you, uh, I think you'd enjoy it as a, if you're a Matt Hardy fan. I think you'd enjoy the Matt Hardy podcast. So Forbidden Door last night, I thought was outstanding. I thought it was outstanding as a kind of a standalone, not really a lot of story or emotional investment into it. Let's start. We'll work backwards. Uh, Brian Danielson submitted Okada in about 30 minutes i was stunned that okada tapped out absolutely stunned like what a finish what a great finish what an unexpected finish because i assumed that okada was gonna win because i don't think danielson's won a lot of big matches but this one he won thankfully because as a huge danielson fan like he was due for a big win and to get a win on Okada, especially at this stage of 
Danielson's career where he felt it felt like to me he was more about making other stars and Okada having a win over Danielson would I think there's an age gap I should look that up but I thought it was a foregone conclusion especially with them going on last that Okada was going to get the win but he didn't Danielson did and a tap out and look my new Japan is uh I would say lacking recently but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head when the last time Okada tapped out and maybe it happened maybe that's how he lost the IWGP championship I couldn't tell you that but it was just so stunning to me that the Okada tapped out like I I I wondered like when they were going through that creative meeting did Okada raise his hand and go let me tap out or was that suggested was that forced upon him I don't know my hope is is that this is the first of three, maybe a first of seven, best of seven series. Uh, I hope it's more than just a one-off because I want to see this match again, and I want to see if it does go best two out of three matches, best four out of seven matches. I think it would be a great series, and I'd actually like to see it at Wrestle Kingdom. I would like to see Danielson and Okada at the Tokyo Dome. I'd love to see that. I don't know that that's going to happen because I think Danielson is somebody who's limiting his travel. I kind of expected Danielson to at least announce for the G1 tournament this year over New Japan, but he would have been out of it anyway because he broke his forearm with about 10 minutes left in the match. And as he described it in the post-media press conference, Okada dropped an elbow and his arm was in the right place. I'm going to go back and see if I can find exactly where it was, but fracture in his forearm about with about 10 minutes to go on the match and powered through it. And there's a point where Kevin Kelly on Cal on commentary is like, you know, Danielson's arm is a passenger right now. And, but the way that he contorted the arm and the body at the end of Okada was insane. And Okada did a great sell job of being stretched to that level. So this is this is a must-see match. If if it's a cold match for you, I kind of understand it. I've been a Danielson fan since his Ring of Honor work, 02, 03, 04, somewhere in that ballpark. I just think he's probably the best technical wrestler of our lifetime. And I say that with respect to the in-ring ability of Chris Benoit. And I say that with respect to the with the deepest amount of respect to Kurt Angle's in ring because I think Danielson has had a longer in ring and going at it week for week. I think Kurt Angle's you know, six years in WWE. He spent more time in TNA than he did in WWE. I think over the course of time. Um, but as far as like somebody who can go 60, 90 minutes in a match. Like there's nobody like Danielson, nobody that I've that I've ever seen. So that's why I mean he's he's probably my second favorite wrestler of all time, behind Mick Foley. He's just he's tremendous, and he's a gr I think he's a great interview, and he makes you emotionally invest in in everything that he does. And so, like I'm glad he got the match. It's a match he probably doesn't have in WWE. I think he admitted that in his post media press conference that. It's a match he doesn't have in WWE if he stays with WWE. And 
I just, I loved everything about this match. Uh, even when Danielson came in to final countdown, which he said after he hadn't listened to that song since it was his ring of honor song. And, uh, that, that, I think that that match is a match that you should go out of your way to see. I think this whole pay-per-view is worth your four hours. Um, and I say that kind of disgustingly because four hours is a long time to watch wrestling. Uh, so Danielson wins. Danielson taps out Okada. And Danielson's on the shelf for four to six weeks, we think, recovering from fractured form. And one of the great lines he had post-press conference was, I want another match with him because I want to end him. I want to break his arm too. Like, oh, great. That's that's great pro wrestling right there. That's old school pro wrestling. I think that probably the second biggest thing on the show was Will Offspray defeating Kenny Omega to win the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. This match went 40 minutes. And I think it was a really good match. I think it lagged at different points in time. There were definitely there was definitely a pacing issue for me during this match where there was a there was a slow build, then really great action, and then they slowed it down. And I thought it really picked up to the next level when Offspray went outside, grabbed a Canadian flag, and did the Shawn Michaels Montreal. Um hillbilly wipe i think is what we can call it. the hillbilly wipe with the canadian flag uh sticking up his nose i was waiting for him to hump the hump the flag uh just like sean michaels did in 1997 montreal uh, but that's when the match really picked up uh probably the most impressive thing and please correct me if i'm wrong on this was omega kicking out at one from the one-winged angel delivered by offspray and in my mind, I'm like, who else is kicked out from the one-winged angel? And I was watching with my friend Amir, who I should put on the podcast. I talked about him. I talk about him enough. He he'd talk your ear off about wrestling. A uh, friend of mine for 30 years, almost 30 years. And he he was like, didn't Adam Page kick out of the? Didn't Adam Page deliver one-winged angel to Kenny Omega, and Omega kicked out, or? vice versa. So I don't remember. I think it was, the, it was the first time that I could recall that somebody kicked out of the one winged angel. It was Kenny Omega at one, which is tremendous. Like did not see that. I thought offspray was going to insult him and beat him with his own finish. But uh, I thought the match was good. But again, I think it had some different pacing issues and I mean, they're going 40 minutes, so I kind of understand it. Um, I thought their match in the Tokyo dome was better, just slightly better. Um, I also think that their fir- their third match is going to be in London at Wembley Stadium. That's what I think. I don't know that. I'm just guessing. But that would make sense to me that they do their third match at Wembley. And who knows? Maybe there's going to be a fourth match and they do it the week after all out in the United Center in Chicago. But uh, this match, I think, was good. You should watch it. Um, if not, just watch the last 10 minutes of it. Like That, that I would think, would be worth your wild. Um, I find I've kind of figured this out. I think AEW is better with CM Punk. And I know that he has all sorts of issues, at least reported issues. He doesn't get along with people. Veterans are upset. Christian Cage made a passing line on one of the shows about, yeah, I'm a veteran who's upset about things. And then he took a shot at Cody Rhodes. But that that's a shot at CM Punk, right? 
I think wrestling is better with CM Punk for the fans' point of view. And he won his first round match in the Owen Hart tournament, which I think he's probably going to win. And that energy in that room for CM Punk's had three matches back and the energy has been up. Chicago crowd was up for the whole thing. And the two nights in Canada, they were up for the whole thing. And it's an unpredictability with punk for real reasons, but also for wrestling reasons. And I just think that wrestling is better with CM punk because people are emotionally invested good and bad for him in the same way, but in a working sense and a pro wrestling in a sports entertainment sense for John Cena in the same way in a pro wrestling sense for Roman reigns, but in the real slash wrestling sense, CM Punk, you all have an opinion on CM Punk, and that's good for business. That is good for business. And CM Punk even alluded, alluded to it in his comeback promo. Like, there's a sign over there that's pro CM Punk. There's a sign over there that's negative CM Punk. So CM Punk being back in wrestling is good. Um, I still think that they should do that uh, CM Punk FTR versus the Elite match. I don't know if they're ever going to get there. And there's a case to be made that maybe they don't ever need to do that match because Punk makes a ton of money. The elite make a ton of money. FTR probably got paid handsomely for returning. And so if everybody's happy with their money and they don't want to do the match, there's nothing to force them to do the match unless the payoff is ridiculous. And even then it's like, do we really want to trust? Do we really trust other people in the ring? Well, you should. I understand that there's real life, there might be real life issues there, but you should trust the people you work with to a degree that you can do your job professionally. And I think that's probably the key point in all this is that you can do your job professionally um, with somebody that you're working with. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. <laughs> Country music has so many generous artists who always seem to jump in to help those in need. We're spotlighting five who lead by example and lend a helping hand to charitable causes. See who made our list when you text GIVE to 45911. Text GIVE to 45911 and read all about it right now on BackstageCountry.com. I think one of the more shocking things that happened at Forbidden Door was Jungle Boy turning heel on Hook. And that's not heel Hook. That's that's uh, Hook is apparently a baby face. And Taz cussed on the air, and he should have. Uh, and Taz's reaction was like, oh, that was a mistake. But I think Jungle Boy, for as great a talent as he is, he needed some sort of reboot. And maybe turning him villain is the right way to go. And maybe... He aligns with Christian Cage and they bring that back, but it's a villain group. But Jungle Boy is one of these great, great smaller talents who can work with anybody, but he needs that really big win and the follow up on the big win. This is such an important, this is, this is a gripe of mine. So Jungle Boy gets the big win over Luchasaurus in the cage a few months ago. Was it November? My memory's going. I'm 42. 
but he gets that big cage match win over Luchasaurus. And then where does he go? Well, the last pay-per-view, he was just another guy in that four, four pillars match against MJF, right? He's got to get a big win. He's got to have a follow-up. This is, there was criticism before years ago about you'd work with John Cena, you'd get a win over John Cena, and then you're, you're done. You'd go down the toilet or, uh, in the case of, you know, Rusev would get the U.S. title off of John Cena. He'd come into WrestleMania on a tank and then Cena would beat him. Right. I don't remember if that actually happened, but let's, let's go with it. Right. Uh, Nexus would be on the verge of becoming the next big group and then Super Cena would hit and, you know, he'd beat two guys in 20 seconds and that would be the end of Nexus for all that purpose. So it's like, what's after? So this is my Chris Jericho point, and it, it relates to um, Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. So after that Luchasaurus match, should there have been a way to get a championship on him? Should there have been a way to get him into a bigger feud with, say, Chris Jericho? They should have done something like that. And maybe there's an injury that I don't remember. But this is what's happening with just Chris Jericho opponents. Orange Cassidy has this orange juice match with Chris Jericho, and it doesn't go anywhere. And now he's the international champion, and he's the opening match, and everybody loves it, and I enjoy Orange Cassidy. Uh, I don't think he's the undertaker, but that's a story for another day. I'm, but Ricky Starks worth, works with Chris Jericho. Where's Ricky Starks? Ricky Starks is the fourth guy on FTR and CM Punk, and I love Ricky Starks but he's got to make that next jump and the booking has to showcase that. Chris Jericho works with Adam Cole and Adam Cole goes into a world title match with MJF. So that's a step up, but here's, here's where all this kind of started um, boiling for me. Paul Heyman did a podcast recently with why can't I remember the name of this? He did a podcast recently with Rick Rubin, right? Great three hour podcast with Paul Heyman. And it's discussed that once Brock beats the streak, then what? And the then what became him delivering six suplexes in the main event championship match, just destroying John Cena. And it put emphasis on not only Brock beating the streak, but dominating arguably the greatest champion of that era, that 10-year that run, that ruthless aggression era was the Cena era. And Brock Lesnar goes into the ring after destroying The Undertaker and or beating The Undertaker, and he just he destroyed Cena instead of it being a 50-50 match. And supposedly that was a Steve Austin-Brock Lesnar idea the night before SummerSlam. And of course, Cena's going to do business. Like, Cena's like, oh, that logically makes sense. So the idea is, is that now Jack Perry needs a villain run, right? Hook's undefeated. And this goes to, does Jack Perry beating the FTW champion mean anything? And the answer is it doesn't. So what do you have to do? I would suggest... Jack Perry has a match with Orange Cassidy. Everybody loves Orange Cassidy. Jungle Boy Jack Perry does everything in his power to cheat and cheat and cheat to try to win. 
until the very end. Here comes Christian Cage with Luchasaurus. They help him win. And now you've got Christian Cage managing the TNT champion, and you've got him managing the international champion. And then it kind of goes from there. And yes, you've brought back uh, Jungle Express, but you've done it on the villain side, and they're both singles guys. And then you can kind of let Christian Cage be the talker for both of them. And you can kind of help watch out for each other. And maybe you add a third member of the group. And I don't have the answer as to who that third member of the group is. But So those are kind of my big uh, forbidden door thoughts. Um, MJF coming out with uh, New Japan is an indie on a on a jacket was outstanding. Uh, those are kind of my overall thoughts um, for AEW Forbidden Door. I did want to leave you with a money in the bank thought because I had this thought and I texted it to myself so that I would remember to mention it on the podcast. Logan Paul should win money in the bank and, and then go away. Now, what do I mean by that? So there has been a history of somebody wins money in the bank. And I know that's the big thing on the internet right now is Logan Paul should win money in the bank and cash in immediately on Seth Rollins, right? We've seen that. We've been there. We've done that. And maybe they do that on the women's side with whoever wins the women's match. It's Becky Lynch. It's probably Becky Lynch is going to win the women's money in the bank briefcase. But I think she should call her shot and be like, I want Ray Ripley at SummerSlam. That's what I think should happen. And you can let that story kind of play out a little bit because Ray Ripley and Becky will be great. But Logan Paul should win money in the bank and then go away. Logan Paul wins money in the bank in the main event of the show. And that won't happen, we know, because, well, actually, Roman's gone on first before. So maybe this is an occasion where he does that. But I would put the men's money in the bank match on last because then that that disqualifies the chance of a cash-in in the same way that in 2019 in Hartford, they put the money in the bank ladders, the men's match, on last. And Brock won that, and they had already run through Rollins, who was the Universal Champion. He beat AJ Styles, and Kofi, who was the WWE Champion, who had already beaten Kevin Owens. So it goes off the air with Brock with the briefcase and all these question marks. Do a similar thing with Logan Paul. And the next time that we see Logan Paul on WWE TV after SummerSlam, because I assume he's working SummerSlam in some capacity, is November, December, January, February, whenever it is. I want Logan Paul and the Money in the Bank briefcase to disappear off of WWE TV to the point where we forget about it. So that when Logan Paul does return to cash it in, it's a legitimate surprise. For years, the case gets teased every week on a cash in. Is Austin Theory going to cash it in? Is Big E going to cash it in? That whole thing. Let's make the case go away. And when it comes back, it's a real surprise. And I mean this to the point where the announcers don't mention it. I mean this to the point where the only time you see this men's money in the bank briefcase is in the background of logan paul's podcast that's what i think should happen with the men's match the men's money in the bank match. maybe that changes next week when i do a better more in-depth preview of money in the bank but money in the bank kind of a loaded show and 3 p.m start time in london that's key that's key for me i'm old i don't like watching wrestling until midnight and then watching media scrums until two in the morning anymore but that's just me i'm old so that is this week's Stick to Wrestling. 
might have something else later in the week. Um, but I don't want to say that I'm going to talk to Matt Hardy or John Alba later in the week because I don't know that I am. I don't know that I'm going to talk to them in the next few weeks previewing the Matt Hardy podcast thing, but I think it, I think it might happen. I just don't know on timing or anything like that, but um, so this has been stick to wrestling for this week. Uh, next time I think I talk to you, we'll be talking about money in the bank, previewing that show. Maybe I'll have another voice. Maybe I'll have something before then we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But as always, uh, happy wrestling. And, uh, if you get the chance, invest your four, four and a half hours into forbidden door. I think it, I think you'll, it'll be worth your time. Uh, this is this week's stick to wrestling and happy wrestling, everybody.